Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. For over three years, Jesus spent almost all of his time with his friends, talking, sleeping, praying, walking all over the place, eating with all sorts, and healing people. Can you imagine spending that much time with a group of friends? They were close, as close could be. Then, knowing that he was going to die, and knowing that two of his friends would betray and deny him, he asked them to share the holiest meal of the Jewish faith. He invited them to dinner and then knelt, and he washed their feet like a servant. He prepared the table and his heart to spend the evening with his friends. Hear now Luke 22. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal, and he said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, my betrayer is with me. His hand is on this table. The human one goes just as it has been determined. But how terrible it is for that person who betrays him. They begin to argue among themselves about which of them could possibly be who would do this. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. just heard a story about a dinner party with a guest list of 12. If you were to have your own dinner party, can you think of 12 people that you'd want to include on your guest list? Anyone from the past to the present, dead or alive, who would make your guest list? 
If you're like me, you'd probably consider some famous people, at least a few, perhaps in my case, some writers, some artists, maybe some poets. Mark Chagall would make the list. Emily Dickinson, Maya Angelou. Perhaps a few activists and politicians like Dorothy Day, Simone Weil, Lincoln, and Mandela. Maybe some musicians or comedians. I mean, Robin Williams has to make the list. Sarah Silverman, Rachmaninoff, Prince. Got a party, right? Since I'm a minister, I should probably throw in some religious people. So I guess Jesus would make the list. <laughs> Mother Teresa, Gandhi. I mean, can you imagine seating Robin Williams across from Gandhi and hearing Gandhi giggle all night long? <laughs> or seating Sarah Silverman across from Jesus and having Jesus say, now Sarah, about some of those Jesus jokes, right? <laughs> Take another moment now and think of those that definitely would not make your guest list. You can probably think of a few people, infamous people perhaps, uh, from the past or present, world leaders, perpetrators of evil, villains. You probably think of some personal adversaries too, uh, people who just get under your skin, rub you the wrong way, a neighbor, crazy uncle, Joel Osteen. <laughs> Maybe add some people who have hurt you or offended you in some way. You can, you can think of some people, and when they come to mind, you might say, that person would never, ever have a place at my table. That person would never take one step into my home. Well, Jesus hosted this dinner party for uh, people who are otherwise known as his disciples, 12 people. It's uh, likely that others, according to some historians, others were there as well, especially some very important faithful women who are critical to the Jesus movement. They weren't mentioned, but they were there. This was no ordinary dinner party because it was no ordinary evening for Jesus. This would be his last night on earth. Before the evening ended, Jesus would be arrested. Before the sun set the following day, Jesus would be crucified. Jesus knew his time was short, so he gave his disciples one last lesson on radical love and grace. He set the table for 12. Now you think, well, he, of course he would. He had 12 disciples. Why not 12? But if you were Jesus that night and you already knew ahead of time that one of those 12 disciples had conspired, conspired to hand you over to the very people who wanted you dead, wouldn't you set the table for 11 instead? If you knew that one of those best friends of yours had betrayed you, sold you down the river for 30 pieces of silver, would you even allow him in the house? As Reverend Lauren said just moments ago, these disciples had been with Jesus for three long years, and Jesus knows them through and through. He knows what makes them tick, he knows what matters to them most. 
He knows certainly what they all left behind to follow Jesus. Fishing nets, um, accounting ledgers, livelihoods and families. They have spent so much time together and they've been through so much together. They have learned together so much that they're a little bit like family themselves. But Jesus knows that one of them has set in motion this unstoppable violent plan that will lead to his execution. Jesus knows this, he knows who it is, and yet he still sets a table for 12. As it turns out, it's Judas, we know this. None of the disciples had any idea, however. How could they? When Jesus says, my betrayer is with me, his hand is on the table. They all pull their hands away from the table. (laughs) And they say, it's not me. Who could do such a thing? And they gaze carefully around the table to see if they can spot the betrayer. Who could do such a thing? But quietly in their hearts, they know. It could be me. No one suspects Judas at all. There was never anything about Judas over those three years that would make you say, keep an eye on that guy. He's a little sketchy. Judas had heard every sermon Jesus ever preached. Judas had healed the sick. He had fed the hungry with his own two bare hands, just like everyone else. He had left everything behind to follow Jesus, just like the rest of them. In fact, he's so trustworthy that Scripture says at some point early in the journey, all the disciples and Jesus got together and they elected Judas as the treasurer. Judas, we want you to take the offerings. We want you to deposit into our account. We want you to pay the bills, write the checks, buy the groceries. Nothing ever suggested that Judas would be a betrayer. Judas loved Jesus as much as the rest of them. In the end, you could say Judas was misguided, that he believed that once Jesus was arrested, the Jewish people would rise up in rebellion against the occupying Romans and reclaim Jerusalem. That's what legend says about Judas, that he wanted a royal crown for Jesus, not a crown of thorns. You could say all that, but you can never say that Judas set out to kill his teacher. On that night, there were 12 seats for 12 disciples. The one who will betray me sits here at this table, says Jesus. And they all said, who could do such a thing? But quietly, they all wonder, is it me? And isn't that the truth? There are 12 disciples sitting around the table, and there are 12 betrayers as well. Not just one, but 12. Judas was the most notorious betrayer among them, but the other 11, they were far from perfect None of them was blameless by the time Jesus hangs from his cross. Judas may have been the one who told the authorities where they could find and arrest Jesus, but the other 11, they never went looking for Jesus once he was arrested. Judas may have handed Jesus over to the authorities, but the other 11 deserted Jesus. They actually locked themselves in a little room and waited the whole thing out until the dust finally settled. Judas may have betrayed Jesus with a kiss in the garden, but hours later, it was Peter who betrayed Jesus with a denial. I don't know the man, he said. 
I swear I don't know the man. What is a betrayal? The Greek word is the word paradidomai. It means to give someone into the hands of another or to hand someone over to another power, to give somebody to the world. It could mean to wash your hands of someone, be done with them. Today we think of betrayal as an act of disloyalty or unfaithfulness, a breach of trust, but paradidomai, this this word, it suggests it's more. Ultimately, to betray someone is to say, I'm no longer responsible for you, and I'm passing you off to the rest of the world or into the hands of somebody else who can deal with you. And when you see betrayal this way, you understand that it comes in so many different forms, and yet it's all the same. We can betray our partners by breaking our marriage covenant, but we can also betray them by simply locking our hearts in the vault and throwing away the emotional key. We can betray our children by abandoning them. We can also betray them just by ignoring them or neglecting them or by putting our work, our careers in front of them or by not speaking up when we see something really wrong with them. We can betray our our neighbor by gossiping about him when he's not around. We can also betray him by not knocking on the door when his wife leaves him or when he's lost his job or when the doctor says the word malignant. We can betray somebody, in other words, by what we do and by what we don't do, by what we say and what we fail to say, words of affirmation, commission, and omission. Just before his death, I mentioned last week Johnny Cash. Just before his death, Johnny Cash, the man in black, covered a Trent Reznor song that speaks of betrayal. And Reznor was a lead singer of Nine Inch Nails. He was struggling mightily with addiction, drug and alcohol addiction, heroin. In the 1990s, Reznor wrote this deeply moving, haunting song titled Hurt. It was about his own painful cycle of addiction and the toll that it had taken on not just him, but especially on the people he loved. In 2002, Johnny Cash was 71 years old, and Cash, like Reznor, was recovering from addiction. Cash's health was failing. In fact, within the year, Cash would be dead. In one of his last recordings, Cash covered Reznor's haunting song, Hurt. And in addition, he filmed a a music video that has since been described as the, quote, the saddest music video of all time. The video features these melancholic photographs and, and video clips of Cash's life in all of its frailty and brokenness. And as Cash looks back and reflects on his life in this video, he sings these words, What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. Why did this song resonate so deeply and widely with a whole generation? Because the truth Cash sang about his life is equally true of ours. Betrayal is a human condition. It's unavoidable. 
I will let you down. I will make you hurt. If we know this about ourselves, maybe we can have grace for our own Judas-like moments and for the Judas-like moments of others. Betrayal is built into our system. In fact, culturally speaking, it is actually assumed. You ever wonder about the origins of the handshake custom? Why do we shake hands when we meet someone? Well, in modern culture, it's a, it's a show of friendliness and courtesy, but the handshake actually originates in, in Europe in the Middle Ages. Men, men shook hands whenever they met other men as a means of checking to see if they were packing heat. They would offer one hand to shake, and with the other hand, they would do a neighborly shakedown. Ever wonder about the ritual of clinking glasses that follows a toast at dinner? In medieval times, it was a matter of life or death. After checking each other for concealed weapons, they would sit down, and uh, before you, they would eat, they would clink glasses with everyone at the table. And then they would pour a little of their glass into the other glass, and everybody would pour. Why? Because it was their way of ensuring that the host didn't poison them. When you look around the table at the Last Supper, you see not one betrayer, but twelve. And each of them knows what it feels like to disappoint other people. None of them are so blameless as to believe that the betrayer that Jesus speaks of couldn't possibly be one of them. Who could do this, they say? But silently they know it could be me. The great Russian dissident and writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he once said, the main difference between me and Attila the Hun is the lack of opportunity. <laughs> we've all been betrayers and we've all been betrayed. Some betray by committing horrible acts. Others betray by standing silently by as terrible acts are committed. In the human heart, there are varying degrees of culpability. I remember the middle school boy. His name was Derek. He was gay. And this was 1980. This was Hicksville, USA. Really white. Rural, straight. And Derek was bullied every single day at school. I never bullied Derek. But I don't remember ever standing between Derek and the bullies. And I have never completely forgotten or forgiven myself for that. I will let you down, says Cash. I will make you hurt. We can't go back, but with this last lesson of Jesus around that table that night, we are reminded that in every moment we actually can redeem the present. Before the future happens, we can redeem the present. The people we love will betray us. We will betray the people we are given to love. But watch what Jesus does. If you're not watching, you're going to miss it. Jesus gives his most radical lesson of all. He sets the table for 12. Knowing that his betrayer is present, he still feeds him, 
even before the deed is done. It was one last lesson that said, even betrayers, even those of us whose betrayals would sure to come, are given a place at the table. And so Jesus says, take and eat, Judas. This bread, this cup, it's given even for you. I think what Jesus was saying was, before you can hand me over, paradidomai, to the world, I'm going to, didomai, give myself to you. Forgiveness precedes the betrayal. Grace comes before the deed. Most betrayals that we experience in life will be far less consequential than Judas's. But Jesus models for us what it looks like to embody forgiveness ahead of time. There's a minister who pastored an urban church. He was walking through the church parking lot with his wife one evening. They were going to dinner. They walked out into the parking lot and there they found a man, older man, lying on the ground. He had suffered a heart attack. And the minister rushed to the man's aid. The wife went back in and dialed 911. The pastor loosened the man's shirt, reached out for his hand, and held it, and said, try to relax. We're right here with you. An ambulance is on the way. And to the minister's surprise and puzzlement, that man looked at the pastor and said, forgive me, Charlie. The minister learned later that Charlie was the man's son, and they had, they had been estranged for many years. And the minister squeezed the man's hand and, and said, I'm not Charlie. My name is Sam. An ambulance is on the way. We'll get you to a hospital. Relax. But the man responded more urgently, Charlie, please forgive me. I'm not Charlie, repeated the minister. Stay calm. We'll get you to a hospital. And the man now in a whisper said, Charlie... I'm begging you, please forgive me. Finally, that pastor understood, and he said to the man, I forgive you. I forgive you. And a look in the man's eyes, according to the pastor, signaled that he had heard those words, and then his breathing stopped, and he was gone. And the following day, the minister had second thoughts about what he had said. I mean, what right did he have to speak a word of forgiveness on behalf of of a son that was estranged from him. And gradually, that pastor said, it occurred to me, this is how the Christian life works. We are always living God's future forgiveness in a broken present. The gospel of Christ is always a word of forgiveness from God's future spoken to us ahead of time. Our takeaways for today, there is a part of Judas in every one of us. And Jesus makes room for all of us at his table. We're always living God's future forgiveness in a broken present. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.